For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Yes! That is such a great promise for my graduation. Oh, the places I'll go. Oh, awesome. Everything will work out exactly as I want. I just need to claim this promise. If I just follow my heart and believe enough, God will bless me because of this verse. False. Not so fast, Skippy. This verse is not about you, but it does bring into focus a very important attribute of God. And when we understand this passage properly, it can give us hope and purpose and comfort now. So let's talk about it together. There is so much merchandise, so much swag you can get with this verse on it. Like from head to toe, you can have Jeremiah 29:11 all over. You can have hats and sandals and rings and stickers and blankets and framed calligraphy for your house and even like temporary tattoos and and, te and permanent tattoos with this verse. Like what's going on with Jeremiah 29:11? kind of seems crazy, doesn't it? Like, we maybe we think if we wear this verse and, and have it on our walls, then good things will happen to us, right? The, the verse will come true, like a good luck charm or a magic spell. And I know you're thinking, chill out. Like, John, chill out. Like, why do you have to be so mean? Like, I, I really don't appreciate your mocking tone, Mr. Silva. So people take this verse a little out of context, and, but it gives them hope. What's the problem? This is the problem. Misunderstanding and misusing scripture can create a faith that can't stand up to real life. I mean, say we claim this verse and then things don't go as we want them to go. We go bankrupt. We fail that test we actually didn't study for. We have to deal with divorce or we get pregnant when we didn't want to or we can't get pregnant when we do want to. Or sickness and disease either steals our health or steals our loved ones. And then we say, but God, you, you promised me. You, you said you had good plans for me. You promised that I wouldn't face disaster. Where are you? Like, are you even real? Did I do something to make you reject me? See, we, we claim stuff like this and then things go wrong and we think God's abandoned us. See, misunderstanding and misusing this verse in particular really sets a lot of people up for disillusionment, hurt, and anger. So if this verse is not about us, why read it? What do we do with it? Do we just ignore it and, and skip it? Or do we just say, you know, I don't care what it's supposed to mean, pastor boy. This is what it means to me. And, and God's speaking to me through this verse. Well, remember, as we're learning to study scripture together in this series, scripture can't mean to us what it never meant to them, the original audience. The scripture, the Bible, the biblical writings is not a magic book to pick out some random line and, and then claim it as ours. There's a better way. With good tools and study, we can discover when and why and to whom this passage was actually written. And then we can have something concrete to teach us, to guide us, to transform us into who we were always meant to to be. See, reading scripture in its context can grow our trust in God in our own context. 
So as we go through and study this verse, we use the tools that we've been talking about in the last few episodes. And we use, I want to use the rhythm that we've kind of been setting up to, to study what Scripture actually is saying. And so we have a few steps. Step one in actually looking at a passage is to discover its genre and its historical setting. Now, if you're like most people and don't have a lot of money to spend on extra theological study materials, honestly, like we said in the last episode, the Bible Project has amazing, really good book overviews of each book, each yeah writing of the Bible. And so it can give you, we would go to Jeremiah and look up Jeremiah and get an overview of what the book of Jeremiah is about. But a good study Bible intro and Bible dictionaries can also add a lot of good information about books of the Bible. And so this book, Jeremiah, who's the author? Well, kind of is in the title, right? Jeremiah, who was a prophet of God, but also he had a compiler who kind of took his messages and stuff named Baruch. And so it was written by both Jeremiah and Baruch. What is the book of Jeremiah? It is a collection of Jeremiah's warnings and, and sermons and experiences at a certain time in Israel's history. And so the genre is prophecy, meaning Jeremiah was a prophet of God, where God was, through Jeremiah, speaking to and warning and encouraging his people to, to come back to him. But it's also a narrative because it tells the story of a specific period of time in Israel's history through Jeremiah's experience. And so if it's a time in history, when was it? Around 597 BC. And the act of the six-part play that we've been talking about in God's story is Israel, right? Where Israel is God's chosen nation to bring, uh, to create a community, to then bring in the kingdom of God through his chosen king. And why was Jeremiah writing? To warn the Israelite leaders, to warn the people of Israel to turn back to God. See, at this point in their history, they've, they've been settled a little bit. They, this is after King David and, and things have kind of fallen apart a little bit. They weren't keeping their end of the covenant God had made with them. See, God said, you will be my people. I'll be your God. I'll protect you. You'll be safe in the country if you follow this law, the Old Testament law. And they weren't doing that. There was, injustice was rampant. They, were worship, they would go to the temple and worship, but then they would worship other idols from the people around them. And so Jeremiah is warning them that there will be consequences for breaking your covenant with God, that God will allow a nation from the north, Babylon, to conquer Jerusalem and take its people into exile, which then actually happens. And that's historical fact that Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, came and conquered Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple and he exiled many of the leaders of Israel and their skilled workers to Babylon. And Jeremiah saw all of it and he lived through all of it. And we see it in the book of Jeremiah. So that's our genre. That's our context. And so next in step two, we read the context of the whole text. So we could read the whole book of Jeremiah, which would be good. We don't have time for that. But even, I know we're right now in Jeremiah 29, we're jumping into the middle of this book. But even if we back up just a little bit to the beginning of chapter 29, it gives us a whole lot of context for that one verse that we were kind of looking at. Jeremiah 29, 1. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so who is Jeremiah talking to? The exiles in Babylon. And in the next lines, if we keep reading, we'll see that God tells these exiles to settle down. 
not like to calm down, but to settle, like to, to make homes for themselves, to make lives for, the, for themselves in Babylon. He says, while you're in Babylon, get married, have kids, get your kids married, and then have grandkids. Work for the peace and the prosperity of, get this, Babylon. He says, pray for its good. Pray that it will prosper because if it prospers, if it does well, you will also benefit. But why? Why does God have to tell them to do that? Because, verse 8 and 9, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And if we actually read back a little bit in chapter 28, we see that there were other prophets saying they were speaking for God. And they were telling the people, they were predicting a quick end to this exile, a quick deliverance that Babylon would soon fall because it defied God and that everything will work out just the way they wanted. They were basically giving the people what they wanted to hear, like giving them you know, these hopes and dreams that soon God will take care of you. They actually were doing what often this verse has been used to do, giving false hope and, and false promises to make the people feel good, but actually setting them up for disillusionment. And God's saying, no, that's not, it's not going to go that way. And so God tells them to settle in Babylon because, verse 10, this is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. That must have been crushing to the 40-year-olds hearing that as they're in exile, the 30-year-olds hearing that as they're in exile, probably. I mean, this is ancient, so the 20-year-olds, right? He's saying, hey, most of you hearing this, you're going to die in Babylon. This is not going to be quick. Your dreams of Babylon falling and you reclaiming your territory for God are smashed. Things will not work out the way you were hoping and even the way you were praying. But... And then this is where we engage the actual text we're looking at. Step three, engage the text. But this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. There's our verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Which is a beautiful message of hope, right? God's telling them, you are not forgotten. I will rescue you. I will restore you. I have not rejected you. When you are ready, Israel, I will listen. When you are ready to seek me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I won't run from you and I'll bring you back home. Now, in the actual context of our verse, who is the who in I know the plans I have for you? Hint, it's not you. It's not you. If you're listening or watching this, you it's not you. You are not an ancient Israelite exiled to ancient Babylon because of your people's disobedience to an agreement your ancestors made with God at Mount Sinai. See, God's promises to Israel are not God's promises to you. You don't get to claim what was never yours. In fact, here's, here's a good rule. Don't claim it if you're not the one to whom the author aimed it. You guys like that? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> the you, therefore, I know the plans I have for you, 
is not Sally and, and Greg. No, the you is plural. It's this community of exiles. The you is plural, just like most yous in scripture, by the way. So what is God promising this community? He's saying it's going to take a while. It's going to take 70 years, but there is hope. Your people still have a future. You hearing this will die in Babylon. So get comfy. But your kids, and especially your grandkids, will be restored. And so next, when we're studying a passage, we do step four. We ask the experts. And often, if we read a passage like this in its context, it really isn't that confusing. There's not much debate about what it means. And so we don't need to like, okay, now what are the different options for what this means? But even in something like this, we can use commentaries to make sure we're on the right track. We're making sure we understand the verse in its context, which we are. I'll prove it to you. Here is the Zondervan NIV Bible Commentary, Volume 1 of the Old Testament, which a friend of mine gave to me recently. Here we go. The gracious promise is that of the exile's restoration to Judah. Moreover, the Lord assured them that despite their surmise as to his lack of concern for their plight, he had not forgotten them. The Lord was not denying them hope for the future. It would not be realized immediately or in the near future. Jeremiah's words, hope and a future, are literally an end and a hope, which means a hopeful end. This word from the Lord was surely more heartening to the exile spirits than the false prophets' promises of quick deliverance. And a good study Bible and a good dictionary will really give you the, the same info. And also, if you get more commentaries and, and Bible dictionaries, and even look this Babylonian exile up on, on Wikipedia, it gives us more insight into what happens next. See, 70 years later, the Persians come and conquer Babylon, historical fact. And these exiled Israelites are then allowed, as God promised, to return to Jerusalem. It's what it's the story we read about in the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which of course can be confusing if reading the Bible like a timeline book because Ezra and Nehemiah are placed before Jeremiah in the layout of our Old Testament. But with all of this, we see that God kept his promise. He brought back the exiles. They are restored. They rebuild Jerusalem. They create a nation into which ultimately Jesus is born. The kingdom of God comes to earth through God himself coming to rule. And now that we understand this passage in its proper context, that's when we can do step five. We can do something with it. So how can this passage that has nothing to do with us be useful for training a modern Jesus follower to live out their role now? We gotta remember this story, though it's not our, we're not characters in it, it's part of God's story. And it's also the part of the foundation of our place in God's story. So first, what does this show us about God? Whose story we are playing a part in? It shows us that God is not a God of wishful thinking and, and just hopes and dreams. That he doesn't just tell us what we want to hear. No, God is the God of the real world and wants us to live in reality. But second, see, this passage isn't about following our dreams. It's about where God is, what God is doing when our dreams are smashed. See, it teaches us we can trust God even when his plan and timing look nothing like what we've dreamed. It shows us that God is in control. God is in control even in the face of the largest empire in the world. That God is not surprised by world events or personal events. That he doesn't just like wing it like, oh, that happened. Maybe I'll figure it out. No, he, he knows what he's doing. He has a plan. He has his own timing. 
for the world, for our communities, and even for our own lives. And though we might not always like it, we might not always understand it, even though it might not be the fulfillment of all our hopes and dreams, we can trust him. For example, now that I'm 40 years old, I look back and things haven't always worked out exactly as I've dreamed. But when I look back, I can see God's timing. I can see God's plan better. And I know that I can trust him. And so why can we trust him? Well, the passage thirdly shows us that we can trust God because he's proven that he keeps his promises. Just as God kept his promise to the exiles, he will keep his promises to us. And so we don't get to claim Israel's promises, but what are our promises now? What is a Jesus follower's promise from God now? I want to give you a few of them. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or, or pain. All these things are gone forever. So fourth, while we wait for God to fulfill all his promises that we just talked about, just as the Jewish exiles, we have a role to play. See, when God's people are in exile and living in a difficult place, in a difficult time, God doesn't expect them to sit back or, or hide, or, or pine away for a future, or, or complain about how things are going right now. See, while God is working in his timing, his people are to seek their community's peace, their community's prosperity. They are to improve and pray for where they are now. We are to settle and make our homes where we are, and to bring peace and prosperity where we are now, bringing the kingdom of God to earth now. No, Jesus followers really are not citizens of this world, as Paul says. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. No, we're not citizens of this world. But as we wait, as we live in the world where God has placed us, God has a role for us to play now. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So when we put all of this together that we can take from this passage in Jeremiah, we put it all together, we see that God keeps his promises and that we can have hope for a glorious future because of Jesus. And in the meantime, while we wait with hope, for that future, 
we have a role. And that role is to live for our king by making a community and praying for and and encouraging and making better where we live now, showing people the love of God. So this week, as we as we think through that and we kind of marinate on what that hope looks like and, and the good God wants us to do, let's together read 1 Timothy, what I just read, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Read that once a day. And as you read that, realize your role now in the kingdom of God if you are a Jesus follower. And so ask, as we, as a community, trust and wait on God's promises, what can we, the citizens of the kingdom of God, do to work for the peace and the prosperity of those around us? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Is it bad to have that verse give you hope? Not at all. In fact, in its proper context, it's so much better than the the fluffy, ooey-gooey, feel-good mumbo-jumbo we usually get. See, when we understand it, when we understand it as it was meant to be understood, it shows us that though our dreams that we thought we wanted might be crushed, life might look different than what we had hoped and even prayed for, God keeps his promises. God is in control and he has a plan and a purpose for our lives and an ultimate future we can look forward to with confident hope. When we discover God's purpose for them then, we can more clearly see God's purpose for us now. Maybe just go easy on the t-shirts and the tattoos, okay? We're going to have a few more of these episodes coming your way. So make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube channel or on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening on the podcast and watching on YouTube. We are Cross Creek Community Church. We are a church in Salem. We are for Salem. And this month, July, we have an opportunity for you to be for your neighbor in a new and special way. Hope Pregnancy Clinic is located on Market Street in Salem. Uh, They are collecting or they need diapers, wipes, and baby board books. So we'll be collecting those things at our in-person gatherings on the second and fourth Sundays of the month at 4.30. There's also a link to their Amazon and Target wish lists in our show notes. But this is a great way to be for your neighbor, uh, to show a mom some love, and check out more about Hope Pregnancy Clinic and the work that they do in Salem. It's a pretty neat place. We have a link to them in the show notes as well. Thanks for watching. We hope to see you at one of our in-person gatherings on the second and fourth Sundays of the month in July and August. The dates are on the screen and also down in the description. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.